0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in
1: Tuscaloosa. <laughs>
2: Welcome to Big News Sports, featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller a national championship-winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian.
3: two minutes away from the first pitch braves at washington welcome into big noon sports it is opening day for baseball and you guys know and anybody listening to this show right now we appreciate all i'm a baseball fanatic and today just absolutely fires me up and i stand and i do the fist the one two three i'm ready to go how are you guys today
4: doing great well doing well do- doing great. Um, Here's a trivia question for you, Matt. What is the greatest all-time opening day performance in Major League Baseball history?
3: Oh, geez. A couple of years ago, somebody drove in eight runs and hit two or three home runs. It may have been more than a couple of years. Hard-hitting Mark Witten.
4: Check out out this stat line. I don't think you were there to cover this, but uh, 1926. Uh, Walter Johnson, Uh, Walter
3: the Big Train, (laughs) the Big Train
4: train Johnson. Johnson. He was 38 years old. He had already pitched more than 5,000 innings. And in opening day 1926, stat line: 15 innings pitched, gave up six hits, zero runs, nine strikeouts. Senators, who he played for, Senators beat the Athletics one to zero.
3: I went to dig. I like that.
4: <laughs> no, I it, just um, imagine today the criticism and backlash a manager would get if he sent his pitcher out there for 15 innings.
3: They don't even go six or seven anymore. Um, complete games used to be a goal and a very obtainable goal uh, up until about what, 20 years ago? And now it's uh, let's get to the sixth of the seventh inning and let's start a litany of relievers to get in there and finally get to your closer. I don't like that. I like the days of Bob Gibson and Walter, the big train Johnson, which, by the way, it was once quoted that Johnson could throw a baseball in a teacup for one from 100 feet not really sure that's a big compliment because you'd have to put a lot of arc on it but i think it was just to go and show you what kind of accuracy he has but had uh i want to tell y'all a quick take me out to the ballgame story all right all if y'all right. can't tell it's not just the coffee i'm pretty jacked up um when i was a very very young father and my uh, first child daughter jennifer was born and she got to the age where You know, you'd read a book or you'd uh, sing a song to try and get them to sleep. Reading the book was no problem, but I didn't know any lullabies. Do you all know a lullaby? Do you all know something you sing to your kids?
4: I I I mean, oh, all the time. Rockabye Baby and uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah,
5: and I never. What is your mom reading
4: to the dogs? I never, I never, I them, I never no. thought. I never thought I would be that the the dad who would sing lullabies because one well, I can't sing, but "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" would put out Lincoln all the time. Oh, well, yeah. I, I remember. I feel
6: like we used to sing that in school. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that that counts. Well, I know that yep. then.
3: Probably not. I, I just never really. I, I, being a baseball guy, I just started singing her Take Me Out to the Ball Game as a nighttime, bedtime song. And she wouldn't have anything else after I sang it to her one time. If I tried to do anything else, she'd go, No, Daddy, No, Daddy, No, Daddy, Ball Game, Ball Game. Um, And I took her to uh, Rickwood Field as a two year old. All my kids have been going to baseball games ever since. Uh, They don't love it quite as much as I do, but they do know and appreciate the game. So there you have it, opening day. We'll talk, actually, uh, from my friend Tim Rass, uh, 25 years of the Associated Press out of Washington, D.C., huge baseball fan, and, of course, D.C. is where it's all getting started, literally, as Corbin takes his last warm-up pitches for the Nats, the lefty deals, and we're about to get underway. So, Guys, uh, we will be joined by Tim at the bottom of the hour to talk about baseball, some of the changes, because they are plentiful. But certainly, opening day of baseball is not the only topic that we have on the table today. Where do you guys want to go?
4: Well, I, I'd like to ask you why you believe opening day is so special. A lot of people believe oh. it should be, like, national holiday. Christian and I were talking before the show, and neither of us are baseball guys. Yeah, I mean, I, and I'll, so I, I'll watch baseball.
6: It's, for some reason, it kind of – I put in the categories golf, where I can turn it on at home, and it's kind of relaxing. I kind of just sit back. I don't have to uh, be glued to the screen, and I kind of just go in and out. So I, I, I do like to watch it, but I don't keep up with it enough. At yeah. least. So, I don't, like, I don't have – my granddad was a big Yankees fan. My mom's family's from New York, so he was a huge Yankees fan. I remember that, so I used to say I like the Yankees, but then I've kind of recently started, I guess, to to watch the Braves because I guess, you know, geographically, that's kind of my team, I guess. Um, Who do people he, in South Carolina root for? See, that, the, the Braves, Braves I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the Carolina, Carolina people root for the Braves. I think Alabama folks root for the Braves, so yeah. <laughs> I guess it's— I, would they're they, like the would team they, of the south <laughs> they are yeah they are matt would they ever add a team you think anytime soon to uh uh you know charlotte area i mean you know charlotte does have the, the knights i think they're a triple a team yeah. um do you ever see them expanding the mlb to any because i mean again like laura said the braves kind of are the team of the south do you see them ever expanding to any other um places down here
3: no, but you know, Charlotte would be a great place. No, absolutely, they would. You're right that they have a great AAA team.
6: Put a mm-hmm. stake in downtown Charlotte. Yeah, well, the, no, the Knights deep. is right there across from my condo. Was literally right across from the Knights Stadium, and I used to go to the Knights game. I actually, um, they did something for my birthday. They they gave me and my family like some good seats and like had a little thing on the screen. It was kind of cool, but. Um, they, those games are great and in the view in this in the the baseball stadium you see all this like the is it the sky rises or the whatever the buildings are called uh skyscraper buildings it Just you see the city in the background when you're in that that field and then, um it's a re- really good field and like i said, it's right across the street from uh, bank of america stadium i, I think it, it it would be phenomenal to have the mlb team there but i mean again they're, they're crushing it for a triple a team but I, I know people would really enjoy to have an mlb team there
3: Joe Gaither suggests and he's right Nashville but I don't really see baseball expanding anytime soon they're really let's face it guys as much as I as much as I love it baseball's struggling you know that's the reasons that they're they're making all these adjustments trying to speed the game up well that's certainly the pitch count work because uh, spring games were 25 minutes less and I think because there's a lot of downtime in baseball that it doesn't capture the the fascination of the sports fan that football and basketball do, mm-hmm. and you really have to know the game and understand the game uh, to a certain degree to be able to just sit there and watch it pitch by pitch. I understand exactly what Christian's saying, but I often have baseball on while I'm, you know, doing my house chores, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's uh, it's it's unique in many ways, uh, and one of them is, in fact, even with the pitch count, there is no time limit. You know, there's no time. So, and that's part of it. I like the leisurely of it, uh, the leisureliness of it. And, um, just I'll pull over the side of the road literally and, and watch, uh, kids play Little League, even if my grandkids aren't in it, but so, get a lot, a lot of pleasure out of watching my grandsons. play. Here's, yeah. a,
4: here's, here's a couple more facts and figures about opening day. Um, Twelve U.S. presidents have thrown out the ceremonial first pitch of the season, and it goes back to uh, William Howard Taft on April 14th, 1910. He was a big, big baseball fan, and he went to the Senators' home opener at National Park and he became the first president to open the season in this way. Then uh, Harry Truman uh, Harry Truman, good athlete. Harry Truman threw first pitches with both his right and his left hand in 1950. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Uh, That's like the
3: guy at Mississippi (laughs) State. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Uh, Bill Clinton has uh, Bill Clinton uh, George W. Bush and memorably he threw out the first pitch after 9-11. Uh, back in 1974, Hank Aaron, he hit home run seven fourteen on opening day, which tied Babe Ruth. Uh, and then Aaron ob- obviously would go on to hit seven fifty five. 55 And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it, I, I, think, I think it was a bigger deal uh, sort of in the, uh, back in history than it is now. Right, uh, just because I think yeah. the, the, the popularity of the game has waned as other sports have emerged. Do you agree, Matt?
3: I I do, and I want to make a note on Taft, you're right. By the way, the Bushes love baseball too. In fact, uh, they own part of the Texas Rangers for a while. may still do, I don't know. But one of the many stories is why they have a seventh inning stretch, which is where they play Take me out to the Ball game, is that in fact it was Taft that had been sitting at the game till, you know, middle of the seventh inning. And he decided he just wanted to stand up, you know, just, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, but he's the president. So everybody stood up. And oh. that's, that's one of the many, uh, I, I, I guess, pieces of lore that people talk about. There are other stories as to how the seventh inning And, and, and you know, uh, that, that's really interesting. But, and then
4: when the presidents back then would throw out the opening pitch, they would do it from their, from the front row seat, right? Yeah, They, they, they wouldn't go out onto the field. Uh, they would do it from their front row seat. And, um, of course, like zero security around them, just d- different world back then. I guess I'll say my, my
6: coolest baseball, uh, I don't know. If I love can... baseball. I don't know if it's a baseball story, but, uh, <laughs> my uh, best friend, his, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are stadiums named after his family. Bush, Bush? Stadium. Yeah. And so I always thought that was cool. Granted, I guess they have a lot of things named after <laughs> them. But I think <laughs> it is to have a, a professional sports team uh, stadium named after them, that's he get pretty cool. Does free tickets for life? You know, I think they, they definitely used to have something like that. I don't know if it's still going on. But, yeah, I think they pretty much couldn't attend any- <laughs> anything they wanted to. <laughs>
4: yeah, it must have been nice.
3: Will you guys go to a baseball game this year, whether it be Barons or a major league?
4: I'll definitely go to a Barons game. I'll go to several Barons games. Uh, take the take the kiddos. Or um, what, what are they? Single A or double? They're, they're
3: double A? a. Double a.
4: a, yeah. And it's just double uh, A White Sox. Such oh. a, a a beautiful uh, facility. It's very kid friendly. But you know, it's like uh, when I take my three little ones. You may as well uh, just—it's the equivalent of taking three marbles and then dropping them on pavement and just see where all three go and trying to track down all of them at the same time. And as they they hold a hot dog and a coke, and you know, just getting it all over everybody. And then then, then I get the evil eye from so many parents. Like, control Uh, your kids. And the evil eye always comes from people who haven't had kids.
3: (laughs) But they've got that nice area at Regents Park uh, along the left field foul pole. Yeah. That you can take your kids and they just let them run around. Uh, And they have bouncy houses and all that kind of stuff and swings. Um, It's truly great. And the Barons borrowed something from the Hawkeyes. And you know how the Hawkeyes fans at the end of the third quarter all wave to children's hospital Mm -hmm. they do that in birmingham to children's hospital because it looks right down on top of the stadium that'll bring a lump to your throat yep okay guys uh we can talk some more baseball if you like but i really do want to kind of hone in on what's going to happen in las vegas tonight we'll talk about the blazers and north texas in just a minute on big Noon sports
2: From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, pleasant afternoon. The
1: high today, is 76 degrees. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 56. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy and breezy. Thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night, and those storms could be severe. The high tomorrow, right around 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 71 degrees in Tuscaloosa. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state.
0: Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9
2: app.
3: Appreciate everyone dialing us in. And you can literally dial us in at 205-342-9904. Tell us your favorite baseball story, opening day story. That will be welcome. Tim Raths from Associated Press, Washington will be joining us in just a few minutes. We appreciate his time. You'll find that very interesting as we discuss some of the changes that are coming up. Braves uh, got a hit uh, walk that uh, left uh, runners at the corners in the first half. Of the inning, so Washington is coming to bat. Meanwhile, in Vegas, uh, I'll bet you guys are going to be, I don't know, nine o'clock, kind of pushing my bedtime these days. But at 8.30 tonight, UAB takes on the Mean Green of North Texas. Uh you guys got any thoughts going in? By the way, I want to ask you first, Lars, because you are occasionally one to put a dime on a game. Now, um... North, UAB's actually favored. I'm not surprised yeah. by that. Uh, by two and a half. They've met three times this year, as Lars pointed out yesterday. They lost, uh, UAB lost both times during the regular season, but one in the tournament. You got thoughts on this, guys?
4: Well, the tournament game, I believe that UAB got out to like a 22-2 to two lead. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, w- went on to win the game. And so I, th- I think of that as an aberration. And so I would focus if I were to bet on this game uh I would look at uh the two regular season matchups and so I would hate to say it, but I would go with North Texas especially if you're getting two and a half points um and so but given it's it, in some ways it's like it's gonna come down to jelly <laughs> all right like that that dude can always go off for thirty five. Or he can go five for 25 from the field. <laughs> so, That's very true. And, and, and it was, a, I forget who we had on the other day. It was a Gene Barto. He said he can shoot you into Murray. a game. Or Murray Bartow. He can shoot you into a game and he can shoot you out of a game. <laughs> so uh, you, you die by it, you live by it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's the nation's fifth leading scorer at 22.3 points a game. Uh, he's had a pretty solid run in the uh, NIT, um, and th- what uh, th- th- the opponents have tried to do is force him to uh, shoot from the perimeter. Don't let him sort of you know uh, get, get past that that mid range jumper or get to the basket. Um, UAB does go deeper than North Texas. They play have a ten man rotation. Um. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, but again, I I would lean North Texas, which means UAB will win in a uh, yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, convincing.
3: They'll jump out to a twenty-two-two lead.
4: <laughs> again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, UAB. I guess has won
6: sixteen of his last eighteen games. So I That's mean, they're trending team. in the right direction. You know, they they've got that momentum. Plus, the last time they saw North Texas, they they did win, even though they're one and two of the last three meetings. But They've played each other, you know, three times now, Uh, so this will be the fourth. Um, So from my perspective, I feel like it could go either way. I mean, I'm thinking um, from so if I was if I played a team three times, I mean, I know what to expect. Obviously, they can implement, you know, some fresh things that you haven't seen. But. You know, as an edge rusher, I know the tackle I'm going against. I know how he likes to kick set. I know what he likes to do with his hand move. I I can, I kind of have a, a gauge on you know what to expect, and, and vice versa. He's going to know my favorite move. He's going
4: to know my counter, So, um, well, speaking of that when you were at Alabama, is there a a memorable rematch game that you had in the season or somebody you played in the season and then the SEC championship game in the
6: season? Um, did you ever ever rematch? Well, I I know because with the SEC championship game, you're playing a team from the East. So it would have had to be, it would, would have had to have been, well, let me think. Hold on. Cause it'd be Tennessee or or Georgia Georgia. or whoever's on that rotation. So in 2015, we played, um, Georgia in the regular season, but who did we play in the SEC championship? I think it was Florida. Florida. We played yeah. Florida. Yeah. We played Florida in 15 and 16, and I didn't. I never played Florida in the regular season. We played. Actually, we played Florida in the regular season at Bryant Denny in 2014. So to answer your question, no, there wasn't a rematch there. But I
4: mean. How about in the NFL, right? You're playing your division rivals twice a yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, no. If you, if you yeah, d- divisional, so that, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So do you make serious big-time adjustments from game one to game two? So game
6: plan-wise, I wouldn't say they're, like, massive adjustments because you always kind of want to stick to what you do. I, I think sometimes people get caught up in trying to change too much. They're getting away from themselves, and then that almost puts them back. Uh, So you don't want to change too much, but what you do is you go back and look at the film. For instance, I'll give you an example. I know I'm bouncing around, but if I'm Alabama and we just played Tennessee, and again, I hate to bring it up, but Alabama unfortunately lost that game. I'm going to go back to that tape. I'm using that example because defensively there's a lot of things we can look at on tape and say, all right, we did not do this well. I'm going to go back to that tape and I'm going to see all those. Number one, I'm going to look at the, the explosive plays or the touchdown plays, both one and the same. I'm going to say, all right, this is the coverage we were in. This was the route concept that they ran. How did we defend it? And how? why were they successful? Was it a mental error? Was it? Was there a problem with the call or was there a problem with our execution? You have to figure those things out. If you decide, okay, you know, it wasn't necessarily execution, but it probably was not the best call. We were in uh, cover seven playing this type of coverage. Let's get a look at it doing this. So going into that practice week, these, these coaches, man, like it's from the GAs, everybody, they're drawing up like those same routes and then they're going to implement different coverages or different play calls to see how it would look. And it starts with a walkthrough. It starts with going and doing it actually at full speed in practice. And you figure out the best way to defend it, to defend it going forward. And vice versa, the offense might say, hey, they, we really struggle running the football. You know, were their players just that much better? Was it our, our, our scheming? Or What can we do? Can we block it a little bit different? So that's typically what you see. And I, I think um, it really goes for probably any sport. I mean, UAB yeah. and North Texas can do that same thing here. They can say, hey, you know, we really struggled rebounding the basketball. I mean, were those guys really boxing us out? Or, were, you know, so I, I think the the best coaches go back and make the best decisions in terms of you know, hey, how can we do this better? And then also getting your guys to execute because that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, you can have a great game plan, but if your guys aren't executing, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're still dead in the water. I mean, and I just saw Coach Saban was talking yesterday. He's excited about these new coaches because, you know, with new coaches, you have new ideas, but you also have new motivation, and you have a chance to really get your guys in position. Because I think last year what we saw was a lot of guys failing to execute. I don't, I know there's so much finger point on the coaches. But as a player, when I'm watching some of that tape, and I know I hate to throw the players under the bus, but there were so many times that I could point out just by watching the tape, and I don't necessarily know the play call, but I can tell you this that guy should not be wide open. Somebody I know who's typically responsible for that guy, especially if the inside linebacker is here you know, he's not, either he's wrong or this guy's wrong. So somebody
4: busted the coverage. Right. And so that that's kind of my thoughts on how um, that should go. And it was interesting just on the same subject, uh, Matt, at the end of last year, um, oh, excuse me here, let me get it right. Uh, uh, this isn't right. Football or basketball? Yeah, it's football. Sorry. No, you're good. I... Let's see, I thought... Yeah, okay. So Cincinnati played Baltimore in the very final game of the regular season at mm-hmm. home and uh, ended up beating them 27-16. Mm-hmm. And then they had to play them the very next week yep. in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And you could not have identified <laughs> either team, right? right. I mean, they, uh, meaning that their game plans were completely different. Yeah, you, when you in have Baltimore, to do that. Baltimore actually... Man, they had a great chance to beat the Bengals in the in the playoffs, whereas in, in week 17, they didn't show anything. Absolutely. And,
6: uh, and that's why I was saying, like, you're 100 percent right. Those coaches, the best coaches, they're going to know how to watch that tape and know the exact adjustments that they need to make to give their guys a better chance to make plays, put them in position. That's what you're seeing. I mean, Baltimore is a great example because you're facing a guy like Lamar Jackson. He is extremely hard to defend and guys, you're going to struggle with him, especially the first time you play him. Mm-hmm. But what helps is hey, we're going to go back on the tape. But we're going to see how did he beat us, right? And we're going to say, all right, we can implement. We used to do that in college all the time. We'd come up with new strategies, that, like things that we didn't necessarily have in training camp. We'd come up with, and it wasn't necessarily plays. It might just be a technique that we're using to, to, uh, to go against his own read. So instead of us crashing on the dive or just sitting feathering on a quarterback, we implemented the rise technique where we literally run at the dive and then on our third step we plant our foot and just take out the quarterback so we're still the quarterback player but we're given a, a false sense that we're uh, crashing on the dive that was something okay. we did to do in training camp yeah so interesting stuff yeah there's a lot of things.
3: really <laughs> <A> lot <laughs> of by the way nick saban was very interesting he was all jacked up on mountain dew and you used the term full metal jacket in reference to what they're doing in the spring. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show, but coming up, we'll go to Washington, D.C. and talk a little baseball with Tim Raths. From T-Town
2: to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, it's Chris Stewart.
3: has taken a one to nothing lead and both teams are playing like it's opening day uh, defensively anyway but welcome back to the show big noon sports it's Christian Miller Matt Coulter and Lars Anderson joined now by longtime Associated Press anchor and uh, my good friend for over 40 years now Tim how about that
8: yeah you know what and I still have my memory that's the worst thing (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> hey there are a few of those we both need to forget though right oh uh, yeah never mind hey uh let's get let's do something first very special you have a daughter that lives about uh i don't know driver three wood for me Just
8: tell her hey oh hey dala how you doing
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right let's jump right into this tim because uh, you, you love baseball like i do um, we've seen the results of some of these rule changes in spring training. Uh, are yes. there any that you particularly like or uh, maybe and one that you don't like? And then, again, you know, it's all speculative because we're one inning end of the season.
8: Right. We've all already seen my first boot and I see the first run stola- scored and the first stolen base of the year. So there you go. Um, actually, I'm, you know. I'm kind of excited about this because the idea is to speed up the game. And uh, they were doing all sorts of checks on it during spring training, and it's like knocked half an hour off of each game on the average, which has been the major knock on baseball. as I mean, it's too slow. It's boring. It's, you know, it's just – it's bash ball instead of anything else. So now we're seeing hits and we're seeing stolen bases, uh, you know, and – We'll see what happens. Uh, I got a feeling there's going to be more hit and run. There's going to be more funds. Uh, it's going to be kind of interesting.
4: When you just take a step back and look at the season as a whole, who are the favorites in the American League, or do you have one favorite, and then who would be considered the favorite in the National League?
8: Well, the, uh, in the American League, of course, it's Houston. And uh, simply because, you know, they won it all last year. Uh, and in the National League, uh, I don't know, some team in Atlanta is pretty good. And then there's also the, uh, the San Diego Padres are, are going to be pretty good because they have a lot of former Nats on that team. Um, the Nationals, I know this for a fact, are ranked last. In the entire major leagues. You know, the only thing they're talking about them is, gee, maybe they'll improve over last year's terrible season. You know, and uh, that's about all I'm going to say about it, because I stopped watching that team last year in May um, just because they were so bad. Uh, and so... Are are the Nats a little, excuse
4: me, I'm really curious about this. Are the Nats a little bit like the Marlins uh, back in the 90s and 2000s where you either are competing at a really high level to win the championship or you're just absolutely tanking and uh, not throwing any money at players?
8: Well, the Marlins, uh, the difference being is the Marlins actually went out and bought players for their teams and then immediately got rid of them. The Nationals built the team from within. They had one of the best minor league systems in in Major League Baseball for quite a few years. Uh, Yeah, they they did get some good players, but they signed them to long-term contracts, like Max Scherzer, a perfect example. I mean, he pitched longer for the Nats than he did in his previous two or three other teams. So I think that the Nats actually built the system, and then, um, for whatever reason, they lost players to free agency. They did trades at the end of 2021. Uh, so, yeah, they're trying to rebuild is what they're trying to do. I don't know how long it's going to take them. I'll be honest with you, because it's like that uh, major, what the, the, the team about, the, what is a major league? Uh, mm-hmm. And the groundskeepers are turning to each other going, who are these guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, no, we'll see what happens. I'm just really kind of excited about uh, how the game is going to be played with these new rules changes, because I think that's been a big, big problem in Major League Baseball.
6: Tim, if you could, give me a little breakdown on the Braves. You know, I've been flirting with baseball a little bit here and there, and I'm starting to get more into it, and I I guess – uh, I'm going to settle with the, with the Braves. I'm from South Carolina, originally, and now uh, I reside in Alabama. So I guess they're my team. I, I grew up, I guess, kind of liking the Yankees because of my granddad. But I'm, I'm settling with the Braves. What can I, I look forward to uh, seeing out of them this year?
8: I wish I could tell you, but the person who could probably tell you a heck of a lot more, more is probably sitting right next to you or just across <laughs> from you. Because uh, I, I mean, for years, Matt and I have gone back and forth, and we've really gotten involved in our team. Uh, The reason why I got involved with the Nationals is because they came here uh, when I first came here. And I'm sitting there going, well, this is going to be a lot of fun. And so, that you know, I got behind them. Before that, I was a Braves fan, but that was back in the 90s. Uh, you know, before you got, you know, before the, a long time ago. So I'm I'm not really aware of everything that goes on with the, with the Braves. I know that Acuna is very good. Uh, they got a lot of speed and they got power and they're a pretty good defensive team. Uh, they did lose Dansby Swanson. I don't know if that's a loss or not because he wasn't much with the stick. But uh, as far as, you know, everything else, I'm not really, really sure. Uh, how am I doing, Matt? Am I okay with that? <laughs> You're fine
3: with that. You're fine with that. <laughs> okay. um, you know, they tried to bring up Michael Vaughn, uh, or uh, excuse me, Vaughn Grissom, who played very well <laughs> down the stretch for the Braves and put him at short, and he just flopped out. So they had to go sign Arcea to uh, a
8: lengthy contract. And the yeah. Braves go on another one. How about that, yeah? Jim? Well, uh, that's because they got the losingest pitcher in baseball sitting up on the mound. This lefty is
3: throwing nothing but room service on a silver platter right now. Now it's three to nothing. Um, I want to go back to the rules real quick, Tim, because the one that I foresee causing and disturbing a perfect game dimensionally is increasing the size of the bases. And you touched on this briefly, but uh, larger bet, that means more hits. It means more stolen bases. I kind of like that part of it because I'm a small ball guy. But mm-hmm. I'm also concerned that uh, it's going to mess with the numbers. I mean, it's not 90 feet anymore, uh, right. the first base. It's it's now 8 feet, excuse me, what am I going to 89 feet and 9 inches. And right. And did the, I, well, does the infield <laughs> pull in a little bit to compensate for that? I don't know. I I don't like
8: yeah. it uh, initially. Well, I, I mean, so so the only thing that I can think of is if somebody sets a stolen base record, is that going to have an asterisk? <laughs> well, I don't know if I got that far, but that's funny. <laughs> well, yeah.
3: I, I don't know why they did that, though. Um, I, I guess we'll see how it pans out but i just started thinking very candidly uh, i open this to everybody on the table here what if first downs in football were now nine and a half yards or two and a half uh what if they raised the goal two inches in basketball that's going to throw a lot of stuff off and I, i think major league baseball didn't test this this long enough tim
8: Well, I tell you what it is, though. I I live in an area of Maryland. We have a a team here called the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, and they're an independent league ball team. They're in the Atlantic League. And what the Major League Baseball did is try out these new rules with the independent leagues. They aren't affiliated with any teams. Uh, And Yes, they did have the pitch clock four years ago, almost five years ago here, and they did have the larger bases. They also moved the mounds back, and they also had the automatic, you know, umpire and tried all those out. Now, the l- rules that they've come in with is the larger bases and the pitch clock and also the the shift changes uh, because they had to do something. I mean, baseball was losing attendance. It was losing uh, – TV viewers, uh, everybody, and, and the people that were going, and I'm sorry to say this, Matt, they were skewing our age. And so the thing about it is got to get young people in the seats, and that's what they went with. And I think let's give it a chance and see what happens. I, I love the small ball. I think it's going to be at an added dimension that I really was missing. You know, because you know, who in
4: the heck didn't run anymore? Tim, you know? Tim, I am a diehard Yankees fan. I uh, lived in New York I, a long. I, lived, know, I'll forgive you. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> lived in New York a long time, and just like three subway stops uh, from mm-hmm. from uh, getting out and just walking to the stadium. Uh, I want to ask you about Aaron Judge.
8: Uh, he hit uh, one today. It doesn't
9: surprise me. <laughs> I, I actually was going to ask you. Left it, off.
4: I, I didn't even know if the Yankees started yet. And I was going to ask you if Judge has gone deep yet. Uh, really? Last year, he, obviously, he hit 62 home runs. And that mm-hmm. broke uh, the AL record by Roger Maris, uh, right. um, uh, who added at 61. And that was one of you the know, most hallowed records of all time. Okay, given the fact that Barry Bonds, uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire all tied up in the, the, the steroid era, do you consider Judge to be the home run king, uh, single season home run king? And then as a corollary, do you think Judge can go hit more than 62 this year?
8: I, you know, as far as Judge being able to hit 62, as long as he stays healthy, sure. I don't see a problem with that, or more than 62, because, again, uh, well, no, let me back up on it. He will have the chance to do that if he stays healthy. As far as whether or not he's the all-time home run king, he has the record for the American League. As far as Major League Baseball is concerned, the other guys have the record, uh, Steroids are going to be a problem for baseball record-keeping. Yeah. I don't think that it's going to be a problem for the fans. Kind of like Pete Rose not being in the Hall of Fame because he was a gambler. But then again, Major League Baseball now promotes gambling. So,
4: <laughs> so uh, But do most baseball, and again, I, I don't follow baseball that closely. Sure. Do most baseball purists think the judge should be known as the single season home run king or should it be uh bonds
8: uh, they're they're probably mixed on both of that it's probably the reason i mean it's probably there's there are people that are looking at the new rules changes and they're grumbling and griping but there are others who are saying no these are great this is bringing back the game as we want it As far as judge is concerned, I, you know, I think that uh, some of them say, sure, he's the home run king. Others say, no, he's just the top guy in the American League because purists, that's one of the things about it. You know, that's you know, that's like sitting at the bar with your bud and you will sit there and argue and argue until the cows come home about stuff, because that's what baseball is all about. You know, because of the statistics, people can throw everything at each other and they can come up with different conclusions.
3: Hey, Tim, uh, <clears throat> i out of time. And, and that's fortunate because I was going to uh, get you to go into detail about that infamous trip to Atlanta in your no, family ride. Blue. <laughs> it was a family ride blue station wagon and Keithley was in tow in a Vega. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Two great cars there, yes. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, the fact that they were running was just, a. Uh, that was amazing, in it's all right. Tim, thanks, man. Hello to your family. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. So.
6: Thanks, Tim. You, you guys have a good all rest
3: right. of the show. All right. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I want to talk, uh, when we get back, Lars, and I'm gonna, I want you to kind of take the lead on this, because we were talking about last night, Caitlin Clark. A discussion on her in just a moment. The female Pistol Pete.
8: What a f.
1: Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com. Work is a part of all of us. Working
0: drives us to push beyond what we thought was imaginable and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL PTA, and Federal WIOA, an equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station and the Alabama Broadcasters Association.
5: You've probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel, redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops Apparel, clothing designed for the modern-day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athletes fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Mizzenamain. And if you haven't tried the Mizzenamain dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel, redefined.
9: Hey, this is Reagan, owner of RR Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the home two suites. Come down to RR and and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination.
10: Coming up, Coming up on The Game with Ryan Fowler.
11: Coming up, starting at 2 o'clock, we'll talk with Heather Denich who spent a significant amount of time in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban, the Alabama football program. She gives us the latest around spring practice. Rodney or TiderInsider.com, Nick Saban audio clips, and a lot more. Starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports the longest
10: running sports program in Tuscaloosa. The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide
1: 100.9 app. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, pleasant afternoon. The high today, 76 degrees. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 56. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy and breezy. Thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night, and those storms could be severe. The high tomorrow, right around 80. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: Big news sports. Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Joe Gaines. Thank you for your time behind the curtain. Appreciate that very much. Last night, uh, Lars and I were at our favorite little place, Bob Bob Powers. By the way, Bob, time to be on the show. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, he listens to the station a lot. I know that. Uh, advertises on it too. So anyway, uh, and we looked up, and he just said, "Well, there's Caitlin Clark." The Pistol Pete of women's basketball. What makes you say that?
4: All right. Kaitlin Clark right now is not just my favorite female basketball player. Not just my favorite basketball player. She's my favorite athlete in the world. I just love her games, praise, but, man. That's... All right. So she was in, <laughs> more uh, than uh, Ronald Acuna Jr.? Even, even more than Joe Burrow for right now, okay? Oh, wow. Um, it, it, all right. So she plays at Iowa. And Naismith, player of the year. And Friday night, I'm telling everybody Friday night, watch ESPN when Iowa takes on undefeated South Carolina. Whoa, whoa. Watch whoa. that game. So Clark, <laughs> Clark, she's 21, six foot, again, plays for Iowa. And she does things on the basketball court that you can't even. Imagine, like she, she, she is a magician. She is Larry Bird. She is uh, um, Pistol Pete Magic J- Johnson. Magic Johnson. Yeah. I mean, in in Sunday's win over Louisville, she became the first player in NCAA tournament history, man or woman, to record a forty point triple double. Magic never did that. Michael never did that. Wilt never did that. Uh, of the ninety seven points that Iowa scored that night, she scored or assisted on seventy of them. I mean, just YouTube Caitlin Clark, C-A-I-T-L-I-N, Clark. And you just will be absolutely mesmerized. And you know what? NBA players are just going gaga over her. uh, Steph Curry said about her, no shot is a bad shot when you can shoot as well as she can. Patrick Mahomes has been gushing on and on and on. LeBron James tweeted, she's so cold, sheesh. I mean, it, she just uh, is it, she's hard to her game is hard to describe, but it, it, it's just it, it's magnetic. And and the thing is, uh, the NIL industry index rates uh, Caitlin's annual valuation at one hundred ninety two thousand. So if she turned pro early. She would actually be losing money because the average WNBA salary is like 72000 mm. And so she, I'm sure she'll come back to Iowa for her senior year. Um and, and maybe even her extra COVID year I mean who, who knows I know she's going to
6: return because she's going to want another shot at this title because she's not beating <laughs> with, uh, South Carolina's women's basketball
4: <laughs> no, no, uh, no, it, it's, it's going gonna to be return. T- it's going to be it's going to be a tall task because now you, you have the best team in the country going against the best player in the country oh it's going to be great
6: I just I, man look you need to get my dad on here because he loves soccer. Atlanta let's let's get him on tomorrow. We can preview and, that oh, game, please, because he he watches them consistently and he can break down that team I, I'll, I'll just say, man, I, I never w- w- will bet against Dawn Staley. Just seeing the the job that she has done there, that program, and how they sustain
4: success and consistently are just dominating teams, man. Like of all uh, the people I follow on Twitter, your dad tweets about South Carolina women's basketball more than any person That's I know. Great <laughs> though.
6: He he's a true uh, fan of, of South Carolina women's basketball, so we definitely have to get his perspective. But I, I'm I, now I'm going to watch that game because I, I earlier, haven't seen her play earlier
4: yet. this year. Just. Just because she could she took a shot right beyond half court
3: nothing yeah, but on that. the logo nothing well, was but she net. this good
6: last year or is this kind of like the, yeah she's uh,
3: taking them to three straight final fours oh wow ain't that right Lars?
6: yeah Something yeah
3: like that so she's I been mean, doing this she
4: didn't just yeah say, Okay, well, she's wow. uh, and, and my buddy Rick Riley, uh, who now works for at uh, uh, did a piece on her for the Washington Post, who said that uh, she's a skinny kid who looks like the drive-through girl at Wendy's, but when she gets on the basketball court, she becomes a Wonder Woman.
3: Hey, we got to take a break so I can call Joe Burrow and let him know. That he is not the the bromance on Joe. (laughs) Can I somehow fix them up? up?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Want (laughs) to (laughs) know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today.
1: Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com.
0: Work is a part of all of us. Working drives us to push beyond what we thought was imagined and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL, PTA, and Federal WIOA. An equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station and the Alabama Broadcasters Association.
5: You've probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel, redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hooks Apparel, clothing designed for the modern-day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athletes or fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Miz Main. And if you haven't tried the Miz the Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel, redefined.
10: Coming up, Coming up on the game with Ryan Fowler.
11: Coming up, starting at 2 o'clock, we'll talk with Heather Denich, who spent a significant amount of time in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban, the Alabama football program. She gives us the latest around spring practice, Rodney or TiderInsider.com, Nick Saban audio clips, and a lot more. Starting at 2 o'clock here on the game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports.
10: The longest running sports program in Tuscaloosa, the game with Ryan Fowler, weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app,
1: a national championship team covering a national championship team, the best sports talk in the state, Tide
0: 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
10: WTUG HD2 Northport and W265CG Tuscaloosa Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide
0: 100.9 app
2: Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller
6: And you could sense that she was starting to feel it again. And right here, the rhythm dribble. You can stop Johnson on the other end.
3: You better be careful. There might be another one coming right here. from Caitlin Clark, who is the best basketball player ever to play the game according to Lars Anderson. <laughs> uh, actually, did you, did night- you hear
4: that sweet music she was making? Oh, just the ball geez. tickling the back of the net.
3: Man. You, you can't even pick highlights because she's just a highlight reel. Uh, she's just a terrific basketball player. She looks like uh, Lars and Chris, you can understand this because you grew up playing ball all the time. But she looks like her mom and dad put a basketball in her crib. Uh, she is so comfortable on the floor, which is just one of the many traits. You know, in baseball, they say you're a five tool player. You have the five greatest gifts that you can have as a ball player. I don't know how many basketball tools there are, but she is a 10 on all of
4: them. Yeah. I mean, she, look, half of the people that she passes to, they don't even realize that they're open. That's how good she is. I mean it, it, is, it is she her court vision, her uh, obviously her shooting and, and it just uh, it, it is it is so fundamentally pure and yes, I am uh, gushing on and on about her but uh, it will be interesting because she'll be the best player on the court on Friday night, but they're going against a South Carolina team that's undefeated that is an absolute juggernaut, that is in the, the middle of a sort of a dynasty with Don Staley. By the way, I think Don Staley would make a great NBA coach. Great NBA coach. Like NBA, not WNBA. NBA, NBA. yeah. A great NBA head coach. Uh, and I, I just, I, I think it's time to have a, 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 a woman of her caliber be in the NBA. Anyway. Uh, so it, it's it, it's uh, be just, it's just a really interesting matchup. Again, best player against the best team, and then what is Don Staley going to do to try to minimize Caitlin Clark's impact? Uh, you saw in the semifinals that uh, Louisville they they tried everything. They they it was so obvious, right? They're playing man to man, but they weren't playing man. They're playing two on Clark. And they would just, uh, and the other three just tried to almost play like a a zone, right? It's called a triangle. Triangle and two, yes, a triangle and two. And then it almost became. Triangle and two, but the triangle was on, on one. No, yeah, but the triangle was on <laughs> Clark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it says I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it, and and I know it, it's easy to be uh, caught up in the moment, a prisoner of the moment. But what she is doing is historical, and the and the facts uh, and the stats uh, bear that out. And and again, I, I'm really excited to see this game on Friday night we all should watch
3: uh shifting gears literally a lot closer to home with nick saban interview with espn's heather you will be very very interested to, to see this in its length but right now the quote uh when she asked uh, saban about last year to this year oh we're full metal jacket because we're no doubt disappointed in the very things that you pointed out christian has he ever used full? Metal, did he ever use full metal jacket when you were playing? And what does he mean?
6: I, I've never heard him say that. I was going to ask you what that exactly means. Is, oh, is it it's a, a mo-
3: reference to uh, a, uh, a movie, to right? Yeah, it's 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 a re- reference to uh, weapons, bullets.
6: Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, and this is my take on it just because you know I'm, I'm trying to break it down myself. Uh, I think he's just looking at you know how things went last year and. Um, I think the main focus going into this upcoming season is returning to that that standard of play um, that we've all grown accustomed to to seeing from Alabama football, that dominant style of football, you know, that physical style of football, making your opponents quit. Um, it, it almost appears that we've, we've kind of slowly you know gotten away from that over the years. Could that be, um, you know? from, you know, things changing, you know, schemes, um, you know, getting away from the running game, going to more, you know, spread-type offense, not as, you know, physically dominant up front. It could be that. It it could be, you know, when you start having success, right? I mean, it's very common um, for guys to get comfortable, um, for guys not to... Um, you know, not, not I want to say they don't put in as much time and effort as they need to, but, um, it's like with anything, whether, you know, Lars is writing a book and it's going back to back bestseller, um, it's very easy It's human nature to become comfortable when everything's going well, you almost just expect things to happen, but you can't lose sight that you, you know, you got there, um, by doing things a certain way. And I think that's kind of what he's you know reiterating here is that, Hey, we need everybody to buy into the fact um, that you know it takes uh, a certain type of discipline, it takes a certain type of um, execution, a certain level of focus to achieve the things that we want to achieve. And in order for us to achieve those things, Everybody has to buy into this process, and I think it starts now. It really started again, you know, with the fourth quarter program, the workouts. But now is your opportunity to go out and start putting that on field, putting it on tape now in spring practice. It's a tremendous opportunity. I mean, at Alabama, you have the best of the best. You're going to be battling against each other. Um, there's no better opportunity than now um, to hit the ground running. You know, go out there and compete as if you're, you're getting ready to play. Um, a game, and uh, you ultimately are going to make each other better. And the coaches will have a great opportunity to work with these guys. You got two new coordinators that a lot of people are excited about, including Coach Sabin. They're getting to work with these guys now, and the, the players are going to get comfortable with these coaches and vice versa. And uh, I think that's what he's looking forward to right now. This spring, I think his main focus is getting everybody to buy in um, to returning to that identity because that's what's critical here. We, we, we've seen, um, you know, Alabama's kind of just slowly kind of changed a little bit, and he wants to get back to their roots, and rightfully so.
4: Yeah, and Saban has made a reference to the full metal jacket comment before last season heading into the, to the uh, opener against Utah State. He said, quote, we continue this week to work on other opponents who do different things, but not really starting on that until Friday, full metal jacket. And so I, I, I think what he is referring to by using full metal jacket is sort of full throttled intensity. Like We are just going all in. We are uh, 100% giving everything. And, uh, and he, was, he was responding to a question from Heather uh, about uh, what do you need to do to improve from last year. And I, and I believe Heather you know, cited a, a few different things where Alabama was deficient, a few areas where Alabama was deficient. Right. And so uh, and so he's just saying look we're 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 just attacking this thing as hard right on, yeah. as hard as we can and uh, I do think it's interesting that he also referenced the two new coordinators and as you mentioned Christian it's almost like Tommy Reese and Kevin still are not just recalibrating the program but I think infusing the program with Fresh intensity, fresh ideas, fresh blood.
6: Yeah, and and you need that. I mean, sometimes you have to shock the system. I mean, I look at it like when I when I was gaining weight, you know, I'd come up with a regimen and, and a routine and and a diet, and I'd be eating that. And I would do it, and I would see that I'm am you know, gaining weight, I'm gaining muscle. But then there are some times where you almost become you know stagnant or stable, and it's not. I didn't change anything. It's just your body kind of gets adapted to it, and you kind of just hit that um, kind of baseline. And sometimes you just have to shock your body. You have to switch it up. You have to switch up what you're eating. You know, change the food you're eating, change the protein you're eating. It's it's normal. So I think that's kind of like how I view this with these coaches. You know, I, you know. I, I was never the biggest uh, criticizer of the, the last couple of coaches, but I also am um, excited to have, you know, fresh coaches in here, um, even though Kevin Steele has been here before, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad to to get some change sometimes to kind of start fresh, you know, get a, get a guy that, uh, and speaking on Kevin Steele, right. A guy that's a hard nosed football coach, you know, he, I'm not saying he's not a player's coach, but, He's about business, right? He's not one of those guys where you're just going to be sitting in his office kicking it with your feet up. I mean, he's about football, hard-nosed football, downhill, physical, hit-you-in-the-mouth football. That's what he emphasizes. That's what he coaches. I think a guy like that coming in, working with these players right now in the spring is great because he's going to set the tone now. He's going to let them understand. These are expectations, right? Alabama brought me in here to do a job. And it's my job to help kinda of restore that to this defense, to get that physical identity back and it, uh, people are going to, you know, hold me accountable. So I'm going to hold y'all accountable. And that's exactly what he needs to do. And that's what he's going to do. And then on the other side of the ball, you got Tommy Reese, a, a young, innovative guy who's coming from Notre Dame, um, who works well with the type of personnel that Alabama has. He's a young, fresh mind um, from these player interviews. It seems like they really like him already. They're, they're, they're starting off strong, creating that bond. And, and that's another important thing between coaches and players. You got to have trust. It appears that that's, that's coming along nicely. So um, I, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of optimism around the program right now, and and just hearing Coach Saban, he sounds um, excited to work with these coaches. He he sounds very optimistic about what he's seeing so far, and uh, I'm I'm excited myself to kind of see how it looks
4: going forward. Christian, in looking back at your career at Alabama, comparing the seasons when you won a national championship Mm -hmm. to the seasons where you didn't win a national championship, was the intensity level of those springs different? Or is that just uh, sort of looking in it, into it too much?
6: There might have been slight differences if you really dig into it. But I think the biggest difference between the years that we won and we lost, I, the, the number one focus is the, the amount of player buy-in, hands down. I, I can tell you specifically. The, the, the general sense of those meetings um, towards the end of the season, because that's really when it matters, right? I can tell you the, the years we lost in national championship games – you could sense that guys were slowly kind of checking out guys were kind of looking toward the NFL guys are slowly kind of thinking about agents and what we're, what we're going to do after the season. That's the main, uh, you know, uh, thing that I would say that I, I noticed amongst those teams that, that weren't successful versus the teams that were successful. You know, our player unity was at all time high, you know, guys were being bought in and was at an all time high. Everybody was coming together for that common goal, that common interest and it was almost like we had our own full metal jacket. Like we knew what we wanted to accomplish and we wouldn't let anything or anybody get in the way of that. The years that we lost, it was almost like we had cracks in our armor. Our, mm-hmm. attention, our attention was slowly, you know, elsewhere. And I'm not saying everybody, and and I'm not calling anybody out, but you could just sense that sometimes it, it just kind of felt that guys were slowly kind of straying their focus away. And it was frustrating because you, you just know in your head, you're like, man, we're so close, right? We have like two games left, like just block everything out. And, and unfortunately it just felt like sometimes guys just were too, too eager trying to get ahead of themselves. So then uh, and, and the other thing I'll, I'll mention too, was we, we, we lacked that discipline that, that, you know, single-handedly unmatched, unprecedented discipline that we were known for the years that we won our guys, we had player accountability that held, we, we held each other accountable for everything. If guys weren't wearing the right socks, it didn't even take a coach. A player would say, Hey, mm. go back to the locker room and change. If guys were just leaving trash in the locker room, you know, you know, those little details room, really matter. They add oh, they sure I'm telling you, and I'm i noticed that the teams where we won, we didn't have to remind guys three, four or five times. Hey, pick up your trash. Wear the right socks. Tuck your shirt in, tie your shoelaces. It, it, it was um, it respected and it was, you know, everybody followed the rules. Right. The years that we kind of started to slip and then, you know, didn't didn't finish where we wanted to finish. It's easy to point out and say, "Hey, man, our, our, our got basically our guys weren't bought in." And I think that's what Coach Saban's going back to. And it starts with them buying into, you know, Coach Saban and the coaches' uh, process. But then after that, it's on the leadership. It's on the older guys to 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 basically get the younger guys to buy in and hold each other
4: accountable. Man, great analysis. Great analysis, Matt. I got to head over to campus. Got got some classes. Got to teach. <laughs>
3: Man, I would love to be strolling across the quad right now for a great weather plethora for of reasons. <laughs> uh, so, okay, uh, thank you, Lars. I want to go more into saving save it on the other side of this break, particularly uh, about what they're doing, are going to do, and who will end up taking the most snaps in the spring and then looking forward to August as well. Uh, have a great day, Lars. See you later. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. This
2: is the Big Noon Sports Network.
3: Have you ever... A- Tide
1: 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, pleasant afternoon. Behind high today 76 degrees. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 56. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy and breezy. Thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night, and those storms could be severe. The high tomorrow, right around 80. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 73 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: See the Braves are up 3-1. It is the top of the fourth. Pitch clock's working, even though the Braves are putting runners on base like crazy. They have at least two runners on base in every inning. And again, they have a 3-1 lead. So, um, Braves looking good. Um, there's been some fielding errors. It's like some opening day jitters in some regards. But anyway, just keeping you up to date. I won't do this for every Braves game, but it is opening day. We're talking about the comment Full Metal Jacket. Saban talking about how they're really going to get after it when it comes to their spring practices. And speaking of Full Metal Jacket, if I may, if you've never seen that movie, um please do. Uh it is an incredibly well made, well cast, well written film. And some of the actors in this, particularly R. Lee Ermey, who played the gunny sergeant, because he was a gunny sergeant uh th- that put him on the map and he ended up being the sergeant in toy story so there you go anyway back to this quote and, and back to to my take on this christian um there's not been a lot of talk within the alabama football program christian matt everybody else really talks a lot about quarterbacks but say not anyone want that uh and, and i get the feeling that and he's gone through this before, too, and he kind of had the same attitude, but I sense it more in 2023 that it really isn't on his mind. It is not front of mind. He wants to get back on the field with his new coaches, his new players, and teach. And he just figures that sooner or later, one of these guys is going to the, win the quarterback position. Is that right? Close?
6: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, everybody is, is right now, everybody right now is working towards the same goal, and that's... Being the best football player that they can be, that, and that's from the top down. That's every position, um, because again, that's what spring is for. is for you to go out there, work on your craft, um, focus on being the best football player you can be. Then ultimately, you know, showing the coaches that hey, you know, when it comes time uh, for for fall camp and going into that first game. I'm a guy that you can put in there um, that 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 you can rely on that that you can trust to go out there and execute. I'm a guy that can contribute to this team and help us um, have success. So that's what these guys are focused on. And from the coaches' perspectives, you know, right now they're 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 seeing what guys that's what they're looking for. They're seeing what guys are going to be able to go out there and contribute for us in, in, in the upcoming season. They're looking at, you know, Hey, you know, what, what schemes uh, can we use with these guys? How can we put these guys in position to make plays? So that's ultimately what, what they're trying to accomplish this spring.
3: Question for you. When you first went to spring practice and the last game you had ever played, was a high school football game right and then now you're not just a major college you're at the most prestigious football program in the country at the time it still is i know Georgia's is threatening but how different was it from the first day of spring to your senior season in the spring
6: well so i didn't early enroll so my first time being out there you were in august yeah so it would have been fall camp but it was but my exact same same thing though but i'll so my example would be fall camp but i'll I'll paint a picture for you um and technically we did you know during the summer we do like seven on sevens um so i'll just first I'll, i'll say that because i was the first time i stepped on on a football field with my new team um outside of a workout was a seven on seven and um for for those that are listening that might not know what seven on seven is it's basically there's no offensive line, and it's basically like the like a, like a passing league type deal right you got quarterback running back, and then you know you know four wide outs or you know tight, basically you're you're receiving personnel you just take out the offensive line Your tight ends are included as well, but um you got tight ends receivers and running backs. so basically you no know, doing route concepts there's no running the football you're just you know playing uh it's like a passing league well anyway. Uh, man, I'm painting a picture for you. You know, in, in high school, the average running back is what, 5'9, 185 pounds, right? Maybe 5'11, 190 pounds. Well, my first seven on seven, you know who the running backs were in the backfield that I was looking at? When, Granted, we weren't hitting or we weren't, it was, it was passing, but still. Um, let me so Like Derrick Henry? Yeah, yeah. Derrick Henry, who is what, 6'3, 247 pounds. TJ Yeldon, who's 6'2", uh, traps the size of my head, uh, probably two hundred and twenty <laughs> pounds. Um, yeah, so I am like, okay, yeah, welcome to the SEC. So that that was my first kind of taste of, yeah, all right, now I am at Alabama, the the, the best uh, team and in, in program in college football, and in this this is exactly why. I mean, I am seeing it a perfect visual. So it, it's a huge adjustment. Um, but at the end of the day, you also have to remember, I mean, you were brought here for a reason. Um, I mean, you, you know, yeah, you are going to have some growing pains. Yeah, you have some things to learn. Yeah, you have to develop physically and mentally. But ultimately, you're there for a reason, too. And once you kind of catch your foot and then you kind of, you know, feel it out and and, and start you know, building your, your way up, you, you, you realize like, all right, I can do this, but you definitely have to gain some confidence. Some guys come in with more than others. I mean, I was an undersized guy, so I knew I had to, to work my way up. And then there's other guys. Um, you look at a guy like Jaheim Otis who said he came in at like 420 pounds. His, his first day was probably a little bit different than mine. He probably was just trying to survive the practice. Cause again, he was, you know, probably overweight at the time my head i'm like oh man i gotta get in the weight room so i guess guys have different um ideas on that but that, that was mine i just remember looking at these guys and i'm like yeah i definitely need to hit the weight room uh spe- specifically in the next month or two because fall camp is approaching and uh i am not trying to get ran over
3: <laughs> do you remember your very very first play in a game in crimson
6: of course you do
3: my very first
6: play um uh, well technically it would have been a special teams rep um, but besides that, on defense, I will go, well, let me start with the special teams. We're at my first play, I think we were playing Wisconsin, um, and this might not have been my first play, but it was one of my first plays, and I always remember this. We were playing Wisconsin in 2015. I was a redshirt freshman, and I was on punt return, and uh, man, I, I we were we were making a wall, and I just remember, and this was before they you know outlawed the blindside hits. But I I I come back and crack a guy like decleat the guy, and it was right in front of our sideline, and I like the our whole sideline just going crazy. And I, I mean I couldn't even get up, get back to the sideline without getting smacked in the back of the heads like a million times. Like everybody <laughs> like jumping up and down because again like I mean I, I I laid the guy out like right I mean probably like a foot away from our sideline. So every, everybody had like a front row view of it, and it fired everybody up. And I'll never forget that because I just remember I was like oh crap I just. I might have killed this guy because <laughs> it was it was pretty bad he had no side of me coming and uh I, I will say it's probably probably a good thing that they took those out because I mean it it is pretty rough man I mean when you don't see a guy coming they're running full speed and they just put their helmet in your chest it is pretty dangerous I, I will say that so but that was one of my first plays but um defensively um I, I think I got it and I don't this again I might have been on on defensive play before this but I want to say uh, we played at Mississippi State, and we were blowing them out, and I got in um, on defense in my very first snap. Woulda, coulda, shoulda been a sack. Um uh, I mean, I, I, I ran right past the, the left tackle. I beat him clean, but I just, like, the quarterback stepped up just enough where I kind of, like, I had my left arm out, and I didn't lean into the tackle enough, and I kind of just – you know, scraped right past him. I kind of got a left hand, left arm on him, but just not enough. I was maybe a foot off. But, I mean, I jumped back up, and uh, he escaped the pocket, and I just ran, chased him out, and jumped in for an assisted tackle. Um, so, I guess I had good luck with some of my first plays. Yeah. Man. I mean, yeah. But,
3: Sounds like it. Yeah. I, I love was, the detail in which you remember, but, you know, I, well, I think anybody, they were
6: memorable. That's why. They're I mean, first, too. Yeah. Well, that, too. I was, I mean— and I could be wrong. It might not have been my first, but I know they're one of my first because I remember how proud I was. I was like, dang, that was, I know it was at least my first snap that game. That was pretty early. I was like, I just remember I was like, man, I'm really working my way up there because I was like, I could have had a sack my first place. It, and stuff like that, man, as a player, it just motivates you so much because you exude confidence when, when something like that happens. Like, I mean, because, you know, you, you got your nerves going, you're young, you're trying to get in there. Then when you have great success early on like that, you really it 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 it's, it instills that belief in yourself, and you're like, oh yeah, I can do this, and you just build off
3: of it. You know, back in the day, and this is another reason why they changed that rule. But back in the day, a long time ago, uh, if a quarterback threw an interception, there was a big return on. Oh man, do you know who the defensive lineman looked for first. Well, if, if quarterback, I'm, well if quarterback, I'm,
6: well if I'm being just, honest with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a common rule in the the defense yeah. line rooms. I'm not gonna say where or who's saying this, but and it's not it's no bounty or anything. But what they say is, you do not let the quarterback make the tackle. They word it a certain way. They word it a certain yeah, way. Sure. It's just, yeah, sure. Just yeah, do not let the quarterback make the tackle if he throws a pick. And that's kind of our way of just saying, <laughs> take care of that guy. But yeah, you know you got to protect the quarterbacks. I get it. I get it. They they make all the money in the league. So be it, but don't let him make the tackle. That's all I can tell you.
8: <laughs> uh, you, uh, you,
3: you don't remember this. Your dad would. but There were some Steelers teams in the 70s that had just an unbelievable defense, and they played like the city of Pittsburgh. They were steel strong. And one of their linebackers said, Jack Lambert, said they'd made another rule to protect the quarterback And he said, why? They're already wearing dresses. (laughs) Just one of those quotes pops into my mind. We need to take our bottom of the hour break. When we get back, we're going to continue this edition of Big Noon Sports. By the way, let's take a few phone calls before we get to the top of the hour at 205-342-9904. You are free and clear to call in Big Noon Sports. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports. Matt and Christian along with Joe Gaither. And Lars Anderson is literally on his way to class. So teach him up good today, Lars. Hey, let's talk NFL and quarterbacks and what's going to happen here. Um, First, Christian, uh, Carolina traded up to get the pick. Do you have a feel on this yet?
6: I'm just torn between. I'm still just sticking with between Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. I mean, I know there's some speculation about anthony richardson who had his pro day today and uh not to get off topic but he he looked great and as expected again i mean it's the underwear olympics you got um you know nobody in front of you you've been training two three months for every single thing that you're going to do uh for this day whether that's you know the the jumps the runs the bench uh the 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 throwing script um you name it so everybody's going to look phenomenal and and Obviously, he did. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 6'4", 245 pounds with a cannon of an arm. Um, I mean, truly, uh, you know, it, just a phenomenal athlete. That's just, you know, you, you see this guy, and you're just like, wow, I mean, this, this is a quarterback. He looks like he's a creative football player. You seen him making these these throws look effortless with, with this big cannon of an arm. But at the end of the day, you just have to go back to the tape, and there's no knock on him. I'm just saying, I, I look at him, as a guy that you're going to have to really harness his talent. He's got a lot of raw talent that's going to need, uh, you know, the right coaching to help him develop um, and help him, you know, polish his game. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think you you take a guy like that at number one. That's just my opinion for a quarterback. So to answer your question, Matt, I think it's between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I was up at Pro Day, watched Bryce throw the ball. Speaking of that, Bryce threw a deep ball that hit the ceiling on one, and there was nothing yeah, about it. About and then Anthony Richardson threw one. And, I mean, media has posted, like, clips of it. Like, oh, my gosh. His arm's so strong. He hit the ceiling. And I'm like, dude, Bryce Young minute. hit the ceiling. Will Levy says, hit, hit the ceiling. Like, everybody hits the ceiling. But because the narrative, you know, with him being this big, strong, powerful quarterback, I mean, it makes sense. But it's just funny because I'm like, no one said anything about Bryce Young hitting the ceiling. He he let it rip. and He looked great. But anyway, uh, I think the Panthers really like Bryce Young. I think there are some concerns about, you know, his stature. And, and, and I think they even said it. I think Frank Reich had come out and said, like, hey, it's, it's, it's not a question about height really anymore, right? I mean, we, we've seen smaller quarterbacks slowly but surely come into the league and have success. It's more so about, you know, can he hold up? Can he hold up the, the, the physical uh, toll that his body is going to encompass by playing in the National Football League? My answer to that question is pretty much the same as Coach Saban's. Ask everybody in the SEC that he's played against. You're talking about a guy who's played in the SEC um, his entire collegiate career. The only injury that I I can think of with Bryce really is just this shoulder, and it's an AC joint shoulder that happened when um, he fell on it. And if anything, I think that actually should be a a positive thing to look at because the toughness he demonstrated with that injury, his ability to come back from it in in such a a timely manner – um, showed his resiliency um, to injury and how he can bounce back from it, and 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 again, other than that, he's never really suffered any any major really injuries from uh, from the top of my mind. And and he was five ten, and he was probably a little lighter than he is now. And again, you're talking about a guy who's probably 21. I mean, hell, he's going to keep you know growing, right? I mean, I know 21, you're an adult, but. Um, as a man, you know you're still kind of filling out, and he's he's going to continue to fill out. I mean, he looked good at Pro Day. I mean, he he you could tell he put on some good weight, and I think he holds it just fine. I don't think it would affect him anyway. And I think he could probably potentially put on a few more pounds, and he and he will naturally as he you know continues to grow. But um, I, I think if anything, maybe the the stature and the the injury concerns or durability concerns, I should say could maybe end up leaning in C.J. Stroud's favor as being the number one pick. Um, but ultimately, I, I I say this to Bryce, right? I mean, whether you go one or two, because if they, if you don't go to Carolina, I'm assuming the Texans would take him at two. It, it, it's all about the opportunity that you get and then what you make of that opportunity, right? I mean, it, yeah, it'd be cool to say you went number one, but realistically, you want to go to a good organization that's bought into you, that wants you to... That's going to invest in you and invest in, invest in the people around you and give you a fair chance to show what you can do for that organization. And uh, that's ultimately what matters. But, Matt, for some reason, I, I almost feel like they might be slightly leaning towards CJ Stroud
3: only because of the size difference. Only because of that. I think so, that. too. But I, I, I hope too. I'm wrong. Uh, I do, too, because there is great significance in being the number one pick, and, and it, is, uh, it is in recruiting. Uh, yeah. It is personally, you know, there's a lot to that, maybe more so than any other sport, although the NBA's first pick is pretty big too, but hey, I got, you reminded me of something We're talking about hitting the roof. I want to share a quick story with you. Um, back in 1983, this is before you were born, obviously, almost before Lars was born, but anyway, Auburn was playing Michigan in what should have been the national championship game. Auburn won it 9-7, to seven, but they were robbed of the national championship. I'll say it all day long, the rest of my life, but Auburn was working out in the Superdome. And you've played in the Superdome, right? A couple of three, five times. Yes. You know the gondola that's at the very pinnacle in the middle of the ceiling? Anyway, I can't tell you how high off the ground it is. But Auburn's punter was trying to punt the ball and hit using his foot, which is, you know, it's a more powerful limb than the arm. And he couldn't quite get it. Bo Jackson walks over, and he goes, what are you guys trying to do? He says, we want to hit the gondola. And Bo picked up a football. He hadn't loosened up, done anything, and he threw it, arm, straight up, and hit it. Wow. Now, that's, uh, I, I know you've heard about Bo, and let me tell you, um, greatest athlete I've ever seen in my life. Um, Sounds like And, oh, God, he was he was unbelievable. All right, I want to get Joe on here for a minute. Joe. Key your mic, please. You brought up a really good uh, topic about Hernan Hooker. Bring it up again.
5: Hernan Hooker, uh, Matt. I saw a tweet from, I think it was Peter Burns,
11: saying that if he had not torn his ACL, he would be in the mix for number one quarterback selected. And that seems uh, like maybe a few sprays.
6: Well, what I'll say, honestly, Joe, is I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I – thought had come up in my head probably like a month ago I feel like I remember I just kind of was just hearing all the, the talk about all these quarterbacks and I, get, I just remember thinking I'm like it's just crazy how like an injury like that just changes so much so fast I mean we're talking about a guy who where everybody was talking about being you know the Heisman favorite this guy's winning the Heisman I mean this guy's just tearing you know through college football teams then he suffers his injury And then it's almost like everybody just forgot about it. I mean, you almost don't even hear about them. And I'm just curious because I'm like, you know, in today's, you know, game, guys suffer ACL injuries. I'm not, you know, downplaying them. But realistically, I mean, nowadays with where we're at with, you know, rehab and surgery, I mean, an ACL injury is, is a tough injury to deal with. But I mean, the rate of guys returning up to speed, I mean, is almost, I mean, I can't say 100%, but typically guys come back to form, right? I'm just surprised there's not much more talk about him because, again, we're talking about a guy. I mean, if you go back and watch the tape against Alabama, I mean, this guy looked like he was the, besides Bryce, in my opinion, the best one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And after that injury, you just haven't heard about him. So with that being said, if I'm a team, I'm kind of enjoying that he's kind of flying under the radar right now because I might say, hey, shoot, we got something up our sleeve. We might try to pick him off because I think he's still going to go around like late second, maybe third. Uh, and he could go before then. But if I'm a team and I have a you know, I didn't get a quarterback in the first round and he's still available, I'm taking him in the second round. I'm going to give him that first year to learn to, to, to well, really, you know, for his health to kind of keep you know, bouncing back from his injury. But let him sit behind somebody, let him grow and develop. I think you got a really good, really good quarterback on your hands.
3: Yeah, and uh, if he can take Hyatt with him, yeah, you know one of the greatest things Hooker did with—I mean, he beat Alabama. Come on now, yeah. he ended a 15-game skid.
6: Well, now he didn't but just want, beat Alabama, Matt. I mean, he—and uh, I hate saying that—but I mean, man, he threw for what five touchdowns?
3: Uh, I mean, it, uh, I think Hyatt had four of them, but yeah. uh, his yardage and his numbers were incredible. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people in this state respect the heck out of him. Absolutely. Uh, we can still hate Tennessee, but man, you know what else? And we talked about this at length back during the season, Christian, but he's also a number one pick in character. Right. I mean, this guy is writing children's books. He practices his faith everywhere he goes. Um, you know, he, What a pickup for Tennessee, when you think about it. Getting him from Virginia Tech. It's funny how those things work out. But as I look at this NFL draft selection on quarterbacks, they've got Young, Stroud, Levis, Richardson, and then Hooker. So you're probably right. I'm swapping him with
6: Levis, honestly, Matt. If if it's me, I'm swapping him with Levis. And Honestly, I would put him as the, the third behind... Bryce and CJ, if if that's just me, just because again, I, I shared my perspective on Anthony Richardson, I, I would say Levis be, you know, I I would say Bryce, CJ, Hendon, um, and then Anthony Richardson, then Levis. Or maybe they're interchangeable.
3: They're, they're those two for four and five, but that's where I'm at. Would do you agree with that? Or where where would you I, go? I would put Hooker up there too, and and we've just seen a lot of it. Uh, and I've also, in in you know, mirroring your thoughts on this, I've also seen enough of Anthony Richardson. As Lars as Lars always points out first, he couldn't beat Vandy. And yeah. uh, that's and your dad and you say it all the time, proof is in the tape. And I think when you put those two up on tape you nine out of 10 people are going to take hooker Christian so. with those two uh, with that as
5: the caveat. Oh, he couldn't beat Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. I ask you Are wins a quarterback statistic.
6: That's a look, that's, that's a great question, Joe. That's a great question. maybe cause they, they they're the general, they're the leader, I, <sighs> I guess these, common, you could, I mean, you could, baseball does that, right? I mean, pitchers are, you know, or Matt, you could answer that, but aren't, aren't pitchers uh, designated wins and losses depending on
3: wins? Yeah, yeah. on wins, yes. Yeah. Depending so, on how they pitch. And then, um, yeah, it's it's a significant, yeah. It's more significant in baseball, I think, than any other sport. Absolutely. But quarterbacks that can lead like a Stetson Bennett. Yeah. Uh, he'll get. Oh, well, fast, I forgot. We forgot I don't about know, him.
6: No, but no, he's, he's going to get drafted, hey, Matt. No, he's getting drafted. Right.
3: Oh, he'll get drafted. I just don't know where, but it is a good topic for us to pick up on the other side of this break because I want to get both of you guys' opinion on Bennett and any other quarterbacks we can dig up to talk about in the upcoming 2023 NFL Draft. This is Big Noon Sports. Don't forget our website, www.bignoonsports.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. At Big Noon Sports. Back for a final segment on this beautiful Thursday afternoon in just a minute.
1: Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com.
0: Work is a part of all of us. Working drives us to push beyond what we thought was imaginable and allows us to come together again for the things that really matter. That's why the Alabama Department of Labor and the Alabama Career Center System is here to help you discover bigger opportunities than ever before. Visit your local career center or alabamaworks.alabama.gov. Funding provided by the USDOL, PTA, and federal WIOA, an equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request. Brought to you by this station and the Alabama Broadcasters Association.
5: You've probably seen their clothing around town on game days, but check out Christopher Mobley on the Strip. It's luxury game day apparel, redefined. It's the only place in town where you can find Todd Hoops Apparel, clothing designed for the modern-day entrepreneur, golf enthusiast, and athleisure fanatic. They've got Peter Millar, Viore, Grayson, and Mizzenamain. And if you haven't tried the, Miz the Main dress shirts, you've got to. You can find them at 1410 University Boulevard on the Strip. Also, they've got a great e-commerce site at ChristopherMobley.shop. So check out Christopher Mobley, luxury game day apparel,
9: redefined.
10: Coming up up. on The Game with Ryan Fowler.
11: Coming up, starting at 2 o'clock, we'll talk with Heather Dinnage, who spent a significant amount of time in Tuscaloosa with Nick Saban, the Alabama football program. She gives us the latest around spring practice. Rodney or TiderInsider.com, Nick Saban audio clips, and a lot more. Starting at 2 o'clock here on The Game on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports.
10: The longest-running sports program. Tuscaloosa. The game with Ryan Fowler. Weekdays from 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tide
1: 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, pleasant afternoon behind today's 76 degrees. Tonight, mostly fair with a low at 56. Tomorrow, increasingly cloudy and breezy. Thunderstorms arrive tomorrow night and those storms could be severe. The high tomorrow, right around 80. I'm James Spam of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on on Tide 100.9. It's 74 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: Back on Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Joe Gaither, kind of sitting in for Lars. We appreciate all you do. You are a tireless worker I'm Matt Coulter. Thank you for joining us here again on Big News Sports. Um, we only have a limited amount of time here, so I want to bounce a couple of questions and get both of y'all's reaction on quarterbacks. We've got 30 seconds on this. Stetson Bennett, where will he go? Will he make an NFL team? And how long will he play if he does?
6: I'm saying third or fourth, so mid round, third or fourth round, uh, he's definitely going to make a team as a backup. I give him at least at least four or five years at the minimum. I mean, a backup quarterback can play a long time. I mean, we're talking about McCown, I mean, played, what, 18 years? Now he's a quarterback coach for the, the Panthers. I mean, basically a backup quarterback, you can last a while. So that's my take on Stetson mid-round
11: like it i think
3: that's going to be about what he what he where he lands fourth fifth round i'll go a little further back than you are christian uh but jake Fromm lasted two years as a backup quarterback and i think that we would all agree he's probably a better quarterback than jake Fromm. i think he's probably gonna
11: see his full rookie contract out and
3: uh you know what did tyler heineke bounce just now from the uh, commanders to the to the falcons as a backup they
6: kind of remind me of each other a little bit actually how'd you say that yeah yeah he definitely uh, he'll last a little while I mean, I think, honestly, if he didn't have the character issues that have kind of come up, I think he definitely could probably be third or fourth. But now that Joe says uh, yeah, that's a great point. I'll, I'll stretch it. I'll say between three and five. And again, this is NFL draft. I mean, if a team really likes him, they might take him late in the second. You never know. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's won back-to-back national championships. So you can't discredit him too much because um, there is some buzz around him right now. I've been hearing, but uh, <laughs> it's just it the
3: race car or the driver christian yeah <laughs> oh, oh god here we go oh, too late to bring that one up oh um, <laughs> yeah and i guess uh the teams really do i mean he got he got the dui was it in dallas or no just public intoxication yeah he's like where we knocking kinda all started on doors or something issues?
6: yeah he's like knocking on doors something very strange I mean, I mean i don't know the whole situation but
3: he's the right color that'll go away yeah <laughs> Oh, my oh, wow. gosh, Joe. Joe, Joe's uh, letting it out. Sounds like he's been hanging around Aaron Rodgers. Okay, what do it, Bob. All right, let, let, let's go to a guy played for a national championship with T- TCU, uh, Max Duggan. Uh, Christian, uh, does he make the NFL?
6: Yeah, I, I give Sesson a better chance, but I think he, he at least, you know, sees time on a practice squad. I give him probably more of a fifth, sixth, maybe seventh round range. Yeah, I I see him more of maybe, you know, practice squad guy, maybe earning a backup role at some point, but that that's kind of where I have him right now, man. I think I think Joe might be taking a call right now, so he might not be able to offer that. But what about you? Where would you rank him at?
3: Well, I, I like his style. I like his toughness. Yeah. Great but story too. Yeah, it's a good but I, I'm wondering if he can find a place in the National Football League like Taysom Hill did.
6: Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. We're seeing he more can and more play your that.
3: Quarterback, but he could line up in the slot. He could carry the football.
6: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, now that you say that, he he does kind of have that build. Kind of share some of those qualities. It's just, it, I mean, he'd have to be really good at at his non quarterback job because I mean we all know the, the the rosters in the NFL is very limited, and uh, the reason Taysom Hill is so valuable is because. You know, not only can he serve as a quarterback, but you watch him when they line him up. He's just, he's effective when they line him up elsewhere, you know, as a receiver or wherever. And he played special teams. I mean, that's another priority. So shoot, if Max Duggan is, (laughs) if he's willing to go hop on kickoff team, they might be able to find a place for him. But uh, I don't know many quarterbacks that are willing to run down on kickoff.
3: (laughs) I I don't either. But there is a slot for, for guys that can back up positions on either side of the ball and also play special teams and um, a lot of times I think that 's what gets you off a of practice squad absolutely you go and um you know you played special teams at the NFL of course you played them when you first started off with Alabama too yeah, and, you got um, to you
6: got if you want to make a roster in the NFL if you are not a, a number one guy if you're not a full time starter you are on special teams you have no choice or else you will not make the team because there's only a fifty three man active roster. And, um, yeah, and and that's honestly the difference of guys making teams and not making teams. When it comes down to close battles in the NFL um, and somebody's competing for a backup job, ultimately, Matt, you know what they say? Can he play special teams? And how effective is he? And And whoever's the better special teams guy is going to get the nod. And so a lot of people, I don't think people realize that how critical special teams are. A lot of people just see you know kickoffs and touchbacks but they don't realize man special teams are a huge part of the nfl huge if you want to make a team
3: i think it was uh hope i got the name right i think it was steve tasker that played about the same time your dad played and he was like a fourth receiver Mm -hmm. but he was the king of special teams in fact i think a couple of guys have actually made the hall of fame in canton based more on their special teams than any other place.
6: So, Later from the Patriots, uh, he's like that special teams ace. Best to do yep. it.
3: Very important. Hey, uh, good show. Uh, tomorrow, Murray Bartow will be on. We'll talk to Mick on his boat, and then uh, we'll get Corey
8: Miller's thoughts on South Carolina basketball. Y'all have a great day.